0: Hi, I'm Bentley, and I'm Samuel, and this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. Okay, so uh, shout out to my sister, Aunt Laura. Aunt Laura was always on the cutting edge uh, back in the '80s when we were growing up. Like she was onto Prince before me. She was to Springsteen before me. She was onto U two before me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would I would sort of sit back and wait for things to kind of shake out. Uh, but then once I came along. You know, I really don't let go of those things, right? I am still talking to people about Prince a year after his death and how he was still making great music in, like, the last five years of his life, which most people did not pay attention to. Nope. I'm still a huge Springsteen fan, have seen him live, so that's off the bucket list. Shout out to Mr. Lung, Nick Lung. Thank you, man. And you, too. You know, I finally got them off the bucket list this summer. Very happy because they were doing their anniversary tour of the Joshua Tree and my sister... Aunt Laura and I, right, Laura Robertson Boyd, shout out to my sister. We went up to Cleveland and saw an awesome show. And what I liked about that was they actually started the show on, uh, on kind of a pre-stage, down amongst the audience, and they played their hits leading up to the Joshua Tree, right? So things that were top 40 that I heard that I did like, you know, things like New Year's Day. You know, I liked that stuff. But I wasn't invested in them as a group or as a concept or as a cultural force. Uh, I did think it was really interesting. They, their coming out party was really July 1985 at Live Aid. Live Aid was important to me. I appreciated what their role was in that. Okay, that's cool. And then the Joshua Tree comes along. And they're on the cover of freaking Time magazine. And, and suddenly they're being declared the greatest rock band on the planet. Well, I wasn't ready for that. I really wasn't. So I'm coming along slowly. I do like some of the Joshua Tree, but I'm not heavily invested in it. And then they follow that up with Rattle and Hum, which is kind of half-live. It's got a few studio tracks. I'm looking at it like, this is kind of a mess. I don't really get what they're trying to do here. They're on top of the world commercially. I get that. I mean, they're the hottest thing on the planet at this moment. And Aunt Laura, my sister, at that point sees them. She watches the Joshua Tree uh, tour originally, you know, which is what is on Rattle and Hum. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm watching their video where they actually go to Graceland and they're standing at his grave and they start singing an Elvis song. I'm like, oh my God, you guys, you're such cliches because that scene is exactly ripped from Spinal Tap. You can't do that, you know, seven, eight years after it's in a satire movie about rock bands who think it's cool to go to Elvis' grave and sing a song. My God, what's the matter with you two? Ugh, I can't be a fan of these people. And then the years pass. And I keep listening. And the music keeps sounding better and better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Great art grows and changes with you. It's not paralyzed by a time. I'm always worried about people who are like, well, this is... You know something I really loved as a teenager, and now it's a guilty pleasure. No, just if it's great art, it will keep it, growing. It great. Right.
0: So we're gonna do a review. Listen, of Rattling Home, not the Joshua Tree, because that's
1: clearly in the canon. You can't, you can't. There's no arguing against the Joshua Tree. No, no. And I love it now. Yeah. I listen to it all the time. I loved seeing it redone, track for track,
0: at that concert this summer. I loved the way they presented it. It was dynamic. It felt like. The Joshua Tree had just dropped. It was so relevant, so good. The music was so fresh. You know, all these years later, it still felt like, wow, they could have just released this music. You know, this year.
1: So, do but, you want to take this track by track in sequential order? Do you want to? What do you well, want I want to, to hear? What
0: you think of Rattle and Hum? Because my feeling uh, at this point, twenty years later, is it twenty? No, I'm sorry, it's thirty. Thirty years later is Rattle and Hum and Joshua Tree are two halves of the same album. And it's really interesting to me that people of my generation and, and kind of the culture at large has decided that you can like Joshua Tree and hate Rattle and Hum. I don't think that's true.
1: I can't speak to that. I'm not a member of your generation. Um, all I can tell you is that without having seen this process, without having come up with YouTube or even, even been around at the right. same time, lived as the, through it, yeah. You know... Uh, for me, I come into awareness of them when you start playing uh, a how to dismantle an atomic bomb on heavy yeah. rotation in our household yeah, you yeah, know yeah. Uh, I come aware, I become aware of them with those incredible iconic ads for the very first iPod set to vertigo, yeah. Yeah. which just burn themselves into your corneas because you 're like, oh my god that's well, incredible and, and
0: you grew up as a Green Day fan, so when they do that. That song, right in
1: the Superdome. Yep, they do the together. cover of the Saints. The Saints are coming with Green Day. It is a passing of the torch. That's a major moment. Yeah, U two is not saying we're going away. U two is saying that time to look to these guys yeah. as as your political rockers. You know, we are getting older. Our opinions yeah. are changing. We can't speak for the young people anymore. These guys are going to speak for the young people. And
0: they succeeded. Boy, there's there's a great mark, I think, of a cultural. Uh, for somebody who's in the canon, that, that passing of the torch, I mean, they were right. <laughs> you know, I love Green Day. I think that uh, American Idiot will stand for generations yeah. as a fantastic political uh, album of its time uh, that will speak to next generations, uh, the same way Joshua Tree <clears throat> continues to speak. Um,
1: Looking forward to that 30th anniversary tour. That's going to be nuts.
0: Oh, for American Idiot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'd be
1: good. <laughs> but um, my connection to U2 has always been, you know... Uh, again, this is one of those catalogs, much like The Police, that you just kind of put in front of me as a whole when I'm, like, a teenager, late teenager. Yeah, that's enough true. To, yeah, yeah, To understand this stuff. And so I get to approach it from whatever angle I want.
0: Okay, so what's your view of Rattle and Hum?
1: My view of Rattle and Hum is that it's my favorite U2 album. Like, full <laughs> stop. like wow. there's it's... Why? Uh, because it is... Unique because so many of my favorite U2 songs are on there because I don't see it as pretentious. I think a lot of people went after it because U2 was on top of the world, mm-hmm. and there's no place to go but down from there. Correct. And so people were just looking for them to slip up in even the slightest ways. Mm-hmm. And so is it arrogant for them to say, on track one, side one, Helter Skelter Live, you know, this is a song that Charles Mason stole from Manson. the Beatles. Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing it back. We're stealing it back. But it, yeah, is that arrogant? Yeah, but you know what? I don't care. Like, I, at sitting when I first heard that, I was like, oh my God, that's an incredible act of cultural reappropriation. They yeah. are stealing, yeah. they are forcibly taking this song that has been forever scarred by a horrible act of mass murder and they're saying, no, it is still potent and powerful art and we are going to use it for what we think it should be for. Right,
0: so all these years later, I've, I've warmed up to uh, you 2 and love them because of that sensibility, because they have always understood what role they play in the culture, yeah. right? So I like that because it actually takes away pretense, right? There are all kinds of people who, you know, uh, want to have that role yeah. and speak that way in the culture, but then when you put the spotlight on them, they go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not really trying to do that. You know, they run from the spotlight. You two owned it. They've carried it a long time, and they do have a really good voice. It's a voice that I like a lot. Pretension
1: implies artifice, and I think what bugs people a lot about you two—am I bugging ya? I don't mean to bug bug ya. ya Is that they're pretty earnest in what they do, and a lot of
0: people can't handle earnestness
1: and honesty. You know that that you two can, you know, be who they are and love. America and be these great, basically, bluesmen. Yeah. And they're from Ireland, you know? And <laughs> how can they know the spirit of America so well, having, you know, never grown up here and, and just basically been tourists here? But you know what? I've never heard the Bo Diddley beat used as effectively outside of desire. Like, that's desire is is a monster of a track it's never coming down from five stars on my ipod yeah it is one of those tracks where not only do i never skip it it is a guaranteed like i will scream along to that you bono is pulling something out of his soul on that track and he's putting it there and no matter what context it's in like you watch the footage from like 2001 when they're touring in support of, of I don't know which album, uh, All That You Can't Leave Behind Yeah, monster album. and it's like the thing that they use as like the last or second to last track of their whole set list. It's part of the encore mm-hmm. and they just have all three of the band members use either acoustic stuff or like they have the I think it's Larry Mullen Jr. is the drummer and he's just using one drum. He's just like a little drummer boy and they're just standing out there mm-hmm. in the front of the stage and they've stripped it down and it's still monstrous it still yeah. fills the entire arena yeah, yeah. and people are just losing their minds and you know and you watch the Jimmy Fallon video which is like a fun little joke of them busking in the subway in disguise and you know no there's no it's not, it's
0: not that well I, I, they might play it there but the Fallon that I like that you should go see on YouTube is uh, like Bono is supposed to appear on the Tonight Show but uh, for some reason can't I don't know I think he was sick or something and so, was Jimmy, it was a bike accident? No, no, it was after the bike accident. But Jimmy comes out and he says, Well, you know, we were going to have Bono uh, on, but he can't make it. So, and we were sort of scrambling okay, who else do we get? And we're like, No, we're just going to play. An awesome U2 track, and so Jimmy Fallon does desire. Yeah, that's the song he picks.
1: Yeah, no, it's the one you and pick. he does a great job. Yeah, no, you shoot that sucker into space, man. Like, it's it's yeah, but I do love the busking video of them down there, and they're just yeah. playing on like that's plastic funny. cans, and, yeah. and they've deliberately not tuned their instruments. Yeah. And yeah. Bono's got no microphone, and he's just screaming, Love, I'm off the street, and they, it's yeah. It says, it is at home in the subway of New York City as it is in an arena filled with 200,000 people. Yeah, it's a great song. And there's so few songs that can do both. And that song comes off of Rattle
0: and Hum. How can you hate Rattle and Hum? So uh, let's go through the track list one by one. So you start with the Helter Skelter live cover. So it's interesting because that's from a Beatles era. You know that part of the Beatles catalog, I really don't care about. I
1: don't really care. Uh, about and I've really never
0: either. been fascinated by the whole Manson thing. You know, it's a terrible story in our pop culture. But I'm I've so never... unfascinated about it. I mispronounced his name. Yeah, I don't. I don't care. But I really do like when he claims that role of the artist in the culture. Yeah, like, Bono you know, reclaims it. Yeah,
1: we're stealing it back. I'm like, yeah. yeah, man, do it, do we'll it. Just launch into it. The second one is uh, Van Diem's land. Yeah, what do we think about that? I like it. It's it's not one of my favorite tracks on the album. It's it's perfectly good. Uh, I don't have a strong emotional response to it. I know that we're getting off to a weird start here where we're being like, you know, it's a OKAY hey, track, but we did just talk extensively about Desire, which is track three, so what do you think of Van Diem's Land?
0: It's good, it's good, but you're right. Uh, you know, maybe this is why when I first heard Rattle and Hum, when it was released, that you know, I was, I was sort of like, eh. I mean, I liked Desire right away. Track 3 grabbed me right away. And in fact, that, that I got That music video... The,
1: actually, let's just talk more about Desire. So that music video... No, you I walk want to talk around, about Desire. No, I no, 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 the, no, no, shut the, up! No. Shut up!
0: <laughs> I have the extended remix of Desire. I'm really proud, and I forget where I picked that up.
1: It was used at some, you know, CD it secondhand store. I am sitting next to the biggest user of LimeWire in like 2000. No, I have like this. I will show you the piece uh-huh. of plastic. Yeah, sure, sure. You didn't and peer to great. peer that no, sucker. No, no, I didn't,
0: and it's great. You know, because it's <laughs> got the the stupid LA. Uh, broadcaster like the newswoman talking about in Hollywood tonight you know and they've cut in all this stuff so it's almost they turn it into kind of a postmodern track you know where they're they're cutting stuff and sampling you know you can see that they're paying attention to what's going on in music they never rap right yeah. Bono's not going to be so inauthentic as to rap but those ideas are working their way into the extended remix of Desire and yeah. I love that I love both versions
1: yeah uh, next one is Hawkmoon 269, which I love. I mean, this is a great track. I mean, it's, it's just nothing but... I mean, all songs are poetry, but this really feels like a structured... You know, the, the romantic poets. You know, it, it feels like... Oh, just all the comparing of, of the stuff that people need. I need your... And the refrain of, I need your love. Yeah. And, you I need know. your love. Like a desert needs rain. I like need you. Desert love.
0: needs rain. So that's why I see this really not only like a
1: poet th- needs pain. Like, like poet needs
0: pain. Oh my God! Right. So that's that track could absolutely be on Joshua Tree. That's mm-hmm. why I see these as two halves of a whole. Not only are they doing live versions of some of the big hits off of Joshua Tree, but that song yeah. could absolutely be Joshua. And Tree.
1: And it's six minutes of like growing, building sound. Building, it just building. starts with yep. like the. Yep. F- Varest edges of the guitar from mm-hmm. the edge, and it's just yeah. doo, doo, doo. and yeah. and it just builds and he builds the lyrics and by the end, bono's screaming and yeah. you know it's not necessarily a song that has a resolution which I like from a lot of songs, mm. but that's kind of beautiful in and of itself that he's I need your love I'll need your love and it just you know, it, it can only fade out on that note. Like, there's no culmination to that track. It's he even gets the he gets like the gospel choir behind him by the very end, which I think I didn't like when
0: it was first released. You know, oh, that well, seemed I'm artificial. I love that stuff to me. Um, but we'll get to why now that makes sense to me. Right, yeah. the first time I hear that, they're like, "Oh God, they're bringing in a gospel choir," yeah. which at that time, you know, Madonna was doing that. It was like it the was police.
1: A, it was the thing. The police brought in a gospel choir. Yeah, and I'm sort of like, ugh, cultural <laughs> appropriation. <Yeah. laughs> So five, we're back to another live track, All Along the Watchtower, which is a
0: it's Dylan pretty, song. It's
1: pretty clear they're. I think they're mostly drawing inspiration from the Hendrix version, though, I think. I guess,
0: but so there's two strikes against it to my, you know, 1988 self. They've, they've given a shout out to the part of the Beatles I don't like, and now they're doing All Along the Watchtower, which is Dylan, and I don't like that. I do not like Dylan. Yeah, but... But you know what? I like the U2 version now. Yeah, no,
1: no, uh, they do a great <laughs> version of All Along the Watchtower, and Bono actually adds something to it. He adds the line about, all I have is a red guitar, three chords, and the truth. And that's the, the thesis up. of U2
0: right there. The, the they rest is the up whole, to you. Yeah. The
1: whole band's thesis. They're,
0: God, they've been together for 40 years. That's the band thesis in that
1: song on this album. This is what I've always told people who diss on U2. This is what I always tell people you got to name me another band that has kept the exact same lineup with no breakups and no hiatuses for 40 freaking years and obtained the same commercial and critical success. There there isn't. There is no other band in the history of this planet that has done what they have done. The Rolling Stones couldn't do it. Obviously, the Beatles couldn't
0: do it. The Who didn't do it. Nobody else does what U2 has done for the last 40 years. Not
1: even Green Day. Green Day just like they officially added a, a fourth guy. They've had a lineup change. They and, added... And the band's also... They're also ten, much younger. 10 you know, to 12 years They haven't years reached younger, that yet. Yeah. You know? So it's... <laughs> U2's done it, and they're still doing it. That's crazy. And your favorite rock band isn't still doing it. Yeah, whichever <laughs> rock band that is. Whatever you like, it's not as good as U2. <laughs> so... Uh, next one is the live version of I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking which For. Which is beautiful. Which he turns into a hymnal. Yeah. You know? it's, uh, it's a hymnal. It's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, there's been so much ink spilled about I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. You know, I listened to that. Uh, I can only relay it to my personal experience, which mm-hmm. hasn't been written about, obviously. But, you know, I listened to that a lot when I was taking my apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature class at hmm. the very last semester of my... You know, uh, college experience because that was just so based in nihilism and failure and death. And class why are was. we still here? Yeah, yeah. Class and why was. are we still doing this? And I ran back to the, I would literally get out of that two hour class and run back to my dorm room and listen to this to fight that feeling. Yeah, I was like, this I, is won't, the answer. I won't let you take this from me. Yep. I won't let it happen. Yep. And I remember when they were sitting around at the end, and they're asking us, you know, well, what do you think you've taken away from the class? What have you learned? I'm just like, uh, uh, nothing. And I'm very happy about that. I'm very proud of that. Because I'm still going to go back to my dorm and listen to I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. Like, (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, what's amazing about Chills! Yeah, well, so U2 actually strips things down to a very basic level very Mm -hmm. elemental very elemental and a lot of these other bands that we've cited i like them but you know they do build up a lot of artifice you know i mean i love the who but you know they're the ones who are cranking out tommy you know (laughs) and i realize it's dangerous to bring this up because you two does try to do the spider-man musical i i get that yeah you gotta be careful here dude i don't know we got too much ground to stand on this one (laughs) i don't I'm not defending the Spider-Man musical. I have never heard any of the songs from it. Uh all I have is what they've released, uh, you know, in album form, what I've seen now live, uh, the role that I have seen them play in the culture, and I find it to be very elemental, uh, very truthful, you know. I think that they're speaking the truth as they see it, and to maintain that sense of simple truth and hopefulness after 40 years I mean not only do they keep that same lineup but they're still out there
1: fighting the fight that's hard to do that's really hard to do especially when it seems like things are actively getting worse like ah, no one's learning anything ah this is bad
0: (laughs) they do talk about that Uh, Mm -hmm. I heard them talk about that this summer from the stage yeah yeah so like oh well so we wrote this uh, 30 (laughs) years ago
1: still relevant now So next one is a 30 second freedom for my people like interlude. Yeah, it's fun. Fine. Yeah, whatever. It serves its purpose. Uh, silver and Gold. I love Silver and Gold because oh you know, he just kind of
0: owns this personality that so many people turned on, you know, mm-hmm. this this do-gooder, yeah. right? <laughs> I love Silver and Gold cuz he this is a case where he is answering his critics, which you know, we in other podcasts we've said carries a lot of Danger to it. You can get sucked into that vortex and not get out. But you know, when he talks about, you know, he's starting to talk about South Africa, which was the hot political issue at the time, you know, and he's trying to get people to care and pay attention to Desmond Tutu. These people out in the audience, they don't care. Most of them don't know who Bishop Desmond Tutu is. Yeah. And so, you know, you can kind of get the sense that they're wrestling around and he's giving his little
1: speech and he's like, Am I bugging you? I don't, don't mean, mean to bug ya. Yeah. But, I i mean, the thing that I take away from this is not only that great interlude, but also, in my mind, the most powerful words that he's ever spoken live, where he just turns and goes, Edge, play the blues. Because that's, that's all they're doing, man. They're just yeah. playing the blues. And the Edge plays a sequence of notes that are nothing but stadium rock, but I can see like it's the blues. Like they're just doing the blues. Like it's, mm. you know, it's a it's an edge guitar solo. Mm-hmm. It's very technical. It's mm-hmm. very advanced. It's very much taking full use of the electric guitar. Yeah. But this music would fit, you know, down in, in Louisiana, in a small bar in in New Orleans. You know. Yeah. So what's it interesting
0: is in the time since these two albums were released, uh, Joshua Tree and Rattle and Hum. You know, where the reputation of Joshua Tree is unassailable. And Rattle and Hum has faded away because it was the one thing, you know, that people could say, oh, I don't like that, you know, and they're stupid. Uh, They issued uh, an extended copy of Joshua Tree where they went back and and pulled out, you know, all the the rarities, the uh, alternate uh, recordings, you know, songs that didn't make the cut for Joshua Tree. And one of them is Silver and Gold, right? Where they literally take you into the studio where they're recording Joshua Tree, and they play you that version of Silver and Gold, and guess what? It's nowhere near as good
1: as the live version that you get on Rattle and Hum. Even though, isn't the studio recording including... Doesn't it have Keith Richards on it? Didn't they have? I, I don't remember because that I bought a that. Special I'm, Best I'm, Star?
0: At that point, I'm interested in that for you two. I'm on board. I love what they've done in, in my lifetime now. And I bought that extended you know, issue of Joshua Tree and a whole bunch of those outtakes, I'm like, eh, because I like Rattle and Hum better.
1: Yeah. Uh, next is Pride in the Name of Love, live. I mean, it's, they actually keep this one pretty simple. Yeah. It's only like four minutes long. It's it's pretty much the track as it is in the album, yep. in my recollection. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, next is Angel of Harlem, which is beautiful and wonderful storytelling.
0: Yeah. Um, their shout out to Billie Holiday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know.
0: So that starts. That's where I really start to counter my initial reaction to the album, where I'm just, you know, I'm with the haters. I'm, I'm like, ugh, you're you're standing at Elvis's grave, ugh. But you know what? Then they do a song where they give a shout out to Billie Holiday. I'm like, well, you know what? Nobody else in the late '80s in rock and roll is doing that. So God bless them for doing that. Yeah, Guns that. and Roses is not going to shout out Billie Holiday. No, no. So. You know, that's where I'm like, okay, you know, but they, they are good musicians and they are trying to say something and they are tying back to an earlier part of the culture, and I like that.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, Love Rescue Me, good one. Yeah. Not the best six minute track on this album, and you've got a lot to pick from. Um, oh, I like
0: it. I like it a lot.
1: Oh, I like it too. I like it too, but but just not as much as say as, as Hawk Moon. Or, or, you know, Uh, what's coming up.
0: I should tell you that uh, I include in this session, you know, the B-sides to that extended Desire uh, mix that I got on this CD. Because one of the other tracks on that CD, the single release, was Hallelujah, Here She Comes. And that is a beautiful romantic song. So Mm. I wish that were on the main release of uh, Rattle and Hum. But you know what? It's recorded in that era.
1: And it's a beautiful song. Brief question interlude side note what what single is everlasting love the b-side to because i've only ever heard that in the collection of b-sides that they released Uh, i think that's something they did
0: for a fundraiser i I think really i think that's part of an album that's man
1: because that's like one of my favorite youtube covers but i
0: well so they especially after live (laughs) Aid, they really started to contribute a lot of single one-off songs to these charity fundraiser
1: albums. Yeah. I mean those it's actually pretty hard to track down every single U two track that it point. is. They've cranked down a lot of good music. Yeah, they have. Man, I love that one. Uh When Love Comes to Town, love that one is So it's, that's BB King. Yeah, there's another you know, shout out to their and roots. B. B. King.
0: And nobody on the top forty is talking about BB King or working yeah. with him at that point. But U two is trying to use their star power and their top of the world commercial
1: success To give work to be, They're checking their privilege. This whole album is them checking their privilege, saying, this is where we are drawing our influence from. These are the people you need to revere. These are the issues that we think are important. And they're using a massive platform to do it. And they're doing it in a way uh, that
0: leads to a bunch of things that we now take for granted, right? So, like, I bought the Ray Charles album where he's doing duets with people that are influenced by him, okay? It's a nice album. It's not... Gigantic, it's not fantastic art, but it's an important you know moment where he's sharing his mic with people he's influenced. Frank Sinatra, they did that with Sinatra, they did it with Tony Bennett twice, right? This is now a part of our culture where you get these albums that are kind of the passing of the torch. But guess what? You two did it first. Mm-hmm. They did it with this album. They're literally working with people that they respect, that they want to collaborate with. As a way to help broaden the reach of these people who influence them, that's what this is.
1: Yeah. Next is Heartland. Great stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily one of the ones I'll like never skip over, but yeah, it's on there. I mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly does not, you know, hurt. Um, mm-hmm. But now we come <laughs> to the crux of the matter. You be careful what you quote. God part to. Oh. <laughs> oh my
0: lord. Uh, without quoting the lyrics I will say I love it because this is where again like the Billie Holiday song I'm starting to turn as I'm listening to this I'm like well wait a minute I can't just hate these guys because this song actually makes fun of them. They, they're making fun of themselves and the role that they play right. Yeah. They're earnest they're trying to speak truth they're owning their power except now here's a song where they're sort of like yeah well I say
1: this Except I do this. Don't believe in <laughs> yeah. cocaine, but I've got a speedball in my hand. right,
0: right like he literally says, don't believe rock and roll can really change the world. I'm like, oh my God yeah, no. you know yes, you do believe that, but you're sort of like, you know what in his dark moments he's letting you see in his dark moments he's not this guy.
1: Yeah. Don't believe in riches, but you should see where I live. I know, I- right? I believe believe in love. love. And it's so (laughs) false. It's like a a cavity. It is nothing. It means nothing. Oh, my God. Oh, I
0: love it. It's a great track. It's like they're peeling off their skin. Oh, my
1: God. It just oozes out of the speakers. It's like so nasty and grody. And they're just like... Come on in, the water's fine. Can't believe an Uzi just went off in my, my hand. hand. Like, oh my! And they God. would try and do
0: this again with the fly. Like, well, he literally takes on the persona of a false rock and roll star.
1: Yeah, Right, He as the Fly is basically an outgrowth of this song Yeah, but I'm saying this song did it better in three minutes yeah. And six seconds than yeah. the whole Fly album I like the Fly album, but it. not as much as I love this one track and, and I'm still giving props to Rattle
0: and Hum Because it starts all these other things It's yeah. the genesis of these later things yeah. Then the Edge plays the Star Spangled Banner yeah, again, another nod to Hendrix. Uh,
1: another... This might be the low point of the album. Cause I'm I like... know.
0: So it's the same thing as what they were doing with Helter Skelter. They're trying to sort of bring this back, right? They're trying to, to yeah. act as
1: cultural warriors. But with that, it's I'm more like, no, confrontational. And no. this, it's like, eh. no one's disagreeing that the, Spurs- the Star-Spangled Banner doesn't need to be claimed back from no, Hendrix's version. W- no,
0: there were plenty of people in still today really? who think that you should not play the Star-Spangled Banner that way. No, no, there are definitely cultural... Voices out there who oh. think that's a terrible thing So that's what they were trying to speak to They were like, okay, Hendrix had that fight in the 60s We're on Hendrix's side oh. right? okay. Remember, this is the end of the Reagan 80s So there's plenty of conservatism against something like that Remember, this is the era of Lee Greenwood singing I'm proud to be an American He's <laughs> still singing that He was singing that in Mount Vernon, Ohio a few weeks ago Oh, right. That's I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You want to uh, talk about? it? I didn't know this had happened. <laughs> we need to stop the podcast. And... No, so but yeah. that's what they're doing when they play Hendrix's version yeah. of the star Spoken Bear. They're answering Lee Greenwood. Yeah.
1: Uh 16 is Bullet in the Blue Sky I love
0: Bullet. That's one of my favorite tracks on uh, Joshua Tree and I love that they put it on this one. Red that's- like
1: the colors of a royal flush. Like all the colors of a ro- Oh, sorry. All the colors of a rose bush like Oh my lord. Yeah, I can see those fighter planes. I can see those fighter planes.
0: <sighs> Man. Like, I know, that just stops you cold. It's that song so nuts. Nice. Oh my god.
1: Pelting the women and children. Pelting, Pelting the women the children. and
0: children. Oh my god. A fantastic anti-war song.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and a song not only anti-war, but that, I mean, he captures what I believe the spirit of True urban America is in like three lines. When he's talking about, you know, we take the stairs and a man breathes into a saxophone, like well so there he's unifying his
0: yeah. musicality, his view of America, and his politics. Yeah. And when they did that this summer, you know, on, on the tour I saw in Cleveland, just spine tingling. Yeah. Really that's one of the songs where I'm just like, you know, this they could have recorded this this year. Yeah, no. Right? Nothing's after, changed after all of these years of the Iraq involvement and the Afghanistan involvement and the really hundreds of thousands of civilian deaths in warfare since 9-11. Yep.
1: Just it's incredible. Recorded yesterday. Yep. Just as valid. The last track on this album is All I Want Is You. Yeah. Um, this one's a toughie for me. Um, I very strong emotional reaction to this recently. Um mm-hmm there's an inevitability about it that's really crushing. Mm. And it's really hard to listen to because I almost see it as kind of a companion track to... It's, it's a I feel, a, a more focused, not necessarily better, but a more focused version of Bruce Springsteen's uh, Reason to Believe. Uh, reason to Believe is beautiful. It is about looking for optimism and looking for hope where there might not necessarily be. Where, where things are dark. Yeah. yeah, where things are dark. And, you know, it starts off with the line, you say you want the story to go untold. You'd be happier if I weren't singing this at all. Yeah. You'd be happier if this did not exist. You don't want
0: to face what
1: happened. Yeah, exactly. And, and you say you want diamonds and a ring of gold, but all I want is you. You want all these extra things, these accoutrements, these signs and these articles of love but all I want is your love. All I want is you. Yeah. And that is beautiful and powerful and heartbreaking. And I should, you should always, if you're driving and crying, you should always pull over, people. <laughs> always pull over because you are a safety hazard. I was a safety hazard and I removed <laughs> myself from the situation. And I'm very
0: proud of you. <sighs> So I think, obviously, that U2 speaks to my generation in that kind of directness uh, that you get in that song and, and in this album, Joshua Tree, and, and there are others. I'm really happy that they speak to you, too. Well, they use this track, actually, in Reality Bites. Yeah, right. Yeah. This, is, this is my generation. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Yeah. All right, let's bring it full circle and, and, and wrap it up. So I hated that they went to Memphis and, and in the, you know, the videos that you get with Rattle and Hum that they stand around Elvis's grave. Then
1: I took you to Memphis. Then we go to Memphis. And By the I, way, I had about two days advance warning on this trip, because spring break was coming up, and it's like the Thursday before spring break, it's like, Dad's like, we're going to Memphis! And I'm like, whoo! <laughs> and it's a long drive to Memphis. Oh my
0: god. But I took them, and I did not... Get you into Graceland because I don't care about Graceland. We went to Stax Records. Hey, don't touch my car. Yeah, yeah. Isaac Hayes yelled at me for touching his car. And I took you to Sun Records. That's where you go in Memphis. And of course, we went to and Truman
1: sat on the little X where like Johnny Cash recorded or something. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, absolutely. just sat his butt down there. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and
0: uh, of course, we went to the Civil Rights Museum uh, to. Uh, look at the legacy of Dr. King. So mm-hmm. we did those things, but I noticed, and this was really where I completed my 180 turn on Rattle and Hum. If you eat in restaurants and tour around Memphis today, well, when we did, I should say. And look is, at the
1: street art.
0: If you look at the street art, Elvis is number one, no doubt about it. Total king. But U2 is the second most popular image. Yeah. Right? They're everywhere because... Their work on Rattle and Hum, uh, which was partly recorded in Memphis, and shout out to them, you know, the B.B. King work, that was a boost to that town. It was a real shot in the arm to Memphis and and their tourism in the late 80s because, again, U2 is on top of the world, and they came to town and worked in Memphis and, and gave honor to Memphis as part of the culture that formed their sensibilities And now there we were, you know, in the early aughts, and I'm like, wow, I'm really happy that they helped Memphis.
1: Rattle and Hum is them using their powers for good. And I just don't understand how... I mean, if you don't like the album, that's fine, but don't hate on it. Like, this is them actively saying, go be a patron of all these other people in addition to us. Here we are on Top of the World on Time Magazine... And boy, we sure we sure would like it if you guys would listen yeah. to some more BB well, King records. Right. So
0: they're literally in Rattle and Hum saying what I'm trying
1: to say here on this podcast in
0: 2017. If you like the Joshua Tree, but you didn't really like Rattle and Hum when it came out, like if you own a copy of The Joshua Tree, but you don't own a copy of Rattle and Hum in twenty seventeen, please go listen to it again. Yeah. If I think if you like Joshua Tree, Rattle and Hum is the B side. It's the second yep. half of that expression.
1: And if you don't if you really are resistant to listening to Rattling Home, go buy a BB King album. Do that. Oh, that just, that'd, that'd just good. pick, pick, pick a John Lee Hooker album. God bless. Okay. All right. But anyway,
0: this is Bentley and this is Samuel and this has been the U two Review Podcast. Podcast.